Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And we're too old for this flick. Right off the bat. Right off. We just get the one. <laughs> we have to go back! Today, we are reviewing the one, the mini, <laughs> Lethal Weapon. We are reviewing the 1987 Lethal Weapon uh, because at the time of this recording, there is going to be a Lethal Weapon TV series. Starring Damon Wayans and another guy. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Before we get into that, real quick, just want to give you all just more thanks and appreciations. Thank you for all the reviews. Uh, I went back and saw that you guys have been leaving some very awesome reviews on the podcast. And uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Michelle. Uh, Michelle and Justin, they have a podcast, and they left a really awesome review. Uh, they have an awesome podcast called Naked But Clothes On. It's not what you think. Um, it's just hmm. about having transparent conversations. It's really cool. Um, the review says, these guys are smart and funny, and it's so great to go back and revisit some of my favorite movies. I want to join in on their conversation every time I listen. Thanks, you guys. Thanks. Yeah. That's really nice. And then um, King Maxley also says, I can get jiggy to this. Awesome podcast. Keep up the great work and you will receive a gold star. So we're going to earn that gold star. We're going to earn it. What can we redeem the stars for? Um, Like a, a plastic spider ring? Oh, yeah. I, or I a think bouncy we'll, ball? Matching Dakota rings is what I hope it's. <laughs> They go, Wonder Twins, activate in the form of sand. And a pail of water. Oh, no, we made mud. <laughs> uh, seriously, thank you guys so much for these reviews. If you'd like to leave your own review, uh, find us on, search for us on iTunes for Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Click on it, click on the review tab, and you can leave a review. And we might feature it here. No guarantees, but we might. It's a possibility. But also, thanks. And speaking of reviews, let's get into ours. Um, Whoa. This, that was... That was a clinic on transitions. <laughs> um, so, we're going to give you guys some quick history about this movie. Uh, it is written by Shane Black. You might recognize him from such movies as uh, Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, I thought it sounded familiar. Uh, sorry, it's the top of my list. Uh, uh, also, The Last Action Hero, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and hmm. Iron Man 3, as well as The Nice Guys. What an interesting resume. Yeah, a lot of buddy cop type dynamics. Yeah. So he uh, wrote the first and second Lethal Weapons. And um, he actually started writing it in 1985. He was a recent UCLA grad, and he really wanted to make an urban western, kind of in the vein of like Dirty Harry, where you had a violent character reveled for what he did, what he was capable of, and the things he believed in. And he wanted the protagonist to be an everyman policeman, just guys shuffling around in a town like L.A., searching for something noble as justice when they're just guys in washed up and worn suits seeking a paycheck. So, 
after he wrote through several iterations originally, this movie was way, way darker. Um, it eventually got to a point where the script was purchased for a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, that's that's a nice payday. Yeah. And then the executive producers offered the movie to the director, Richard Donner, who has made an appearance on this podcast before with Superman. Superman. Yeah. Who did the first two Superman. Harvey Superman. <laughs> Harvey Superman. Uh, the Toy, The Goonies, and all the Lethal Weapon movies. So after Richard Donner got the script, he loved it. With those key elements in place, they began searching for the right combination of actors to play Riggs and Murtaugh. So, as fate would have it, Bruce Willis was actually considered for the role of Riggs. Mm, that would have that been good. I yeah. think it would have felt too much like Die Hard, though. Right, but this predates Die Hard. Another Christmas cop movie. I was so surprised to see that. But we'll get to that uh, a couple of seconds Uh, and minutes as well. Um, But yeah, and so ironically, though, and this is like, I, I just found this to be super interesting. Bruce Willis was considered for the role of Riggs, but turned it down. And Mel Gibson was considered for the role of John McClay, but he turned it down. And then Bruce Willis, so... They they Freaky Friday'd themselves? They Freaky Friday'd themselves. I just realized I would love to see a cop comedy where two cops Freaky Friday... (laughs) And they have to solve each other's cases. That would be amazing. Yeah, and they realized the cases were actually connected. Call it Friday Shifts. Friday shift, good cop, bad cop. File, the Friday file, Friday file, or no? That means it's like a a, a person who's really uh, too into the word Friday. Yeah. He's a Friday file. You know, <laughs> has to tell people when he moves <laughs> on a Friday. On Friday, um, but yeah. So according to uh, Richard Donner, uh, it took about two hours, uh, and by the time they were done with reading through the roles with uh, Mel Gibson and Donald Glover that it was just perfect. Like when they were reading it, they found innuendos, they found laughter where he never saw it. And they found tears where they didn't exist before. And most importantly, they found a relationship all in just one reading of the script. So the casting was just perfect and dynamite. And it's the movie that really helped launch both of their careers as leading men. Both have had careers as um, character or supporting actors um, kind of in specific niches. Uh, but this really made them uh, more popular in mainstream media. So it, it's a pivotal film for not only their careers, but the buddy cop genre. Introducing Danny Glover. You know, introducings are usually reserved for children. I'd like to see an introducing for like a 90-year-old man who just decided to get into acting. Yeah. Like Academy Award winner, Helen Mirren, Emmy nominee, other person. Couldn't think of a single Emmy nominee for this bit. That's horrible. Like, and introducing Danny Glover. <laughs> oh, wow. This is, I'm surprised this guy hasn't been in more things that he's too old for being in. Uh, and so that's how the movie got made. When it was released, it was released in March of 1987, and it was number one at the box office for three 
whole weeks, and it was widely considered to be one of the best buddy cop films of all time, influencing number of buddy cop films such as Tango and Cash, Bad Boys, and Rush Hour. Oh, look at that, working backwards. Uh, would you say it also influenced Rizzoli and Isles? <laughs> Elaborate. I can't. I've never seen Rizzoli and Isles. Oh, neither have I. I didn't know it was a movie. I thought you were talking about a, a, a film aesthetic. No, it's um, it's a TV show. I think it's oh. going off the air, too, after like seven seasons. Oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, Rizzoli and Isles fans know better than I do. I've never seen the show. Hmm. So if you're a Rizzoli and Isles fan, let us know what's up with that show. Hmm. What's happening? It's probably more active ways for them to engage with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we go into our actual review, some more fun facts about the movie. Um, firstly, being that this movie is the second film in which Mel Gibson plays a mentally unstable policeman who loses his family. The other film was Mad Max. Oh. So in Mad Max, which came out in 1979, he played a vengeful policeman whose wife and son were murdered by a motorcycle gang. And in this one, he's Riggs and a suicidal policeman who lost his wife in a car accident. So there's that tying in, using giving you that information to start developing your headcanon now. Um, and did you know that the house that got firebombed? I was wondering about that. How did yes. they do that? Well, first off, they um, they acknowledged all of the historical significance of it, and then they blew it up. Uh, so that was actually the home in the Partridge family from the 70s, oh. and the oh. Kravitz home in Bewitched. Oh, my goodness. And then they just blew it up. So Lethal Weapon is actually the final episode of the Partridge family. <laughs> the house was uh, like a character. It really was. Uh yeah, although it's like famously known that Danny Glover's character turns 50, he was actually 40 when he was starring as Murtaugh. Yeah, because it seems like by Lethal Weapon 4, they've kind of caught up to each other in age. Yeah. It's kind of a Benjamin Button situation. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, we're both too old for this together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are... We are really old for this. We could probably put in for desk jobs. <laughs> yeah. The um, And the last thing, I just need this to be known, um, thanks to uh, one of our listeners, Paul, he told me that there was a National Lampoon parody movie called Loaded Weapon. That's a parody on Lethal Weapon starring Amelia Estevez yes. and Samuel Jackson. Whoa. Uh, I watched the trailer for it and I I laughed too hard. It's it's a parody on like all the cop films that kind of came out after Lethal Weapon as well, and it's called Loaded Weapon One. Watch the movie before the sequels. <laughs> and there was only ever one. That was the full just, title. That was the, well. That was uh, kind of the pitch, or oh. I, I think the tagline. Oh, like the tagline: Watch the movie before the sequels. Yeah, um, if you have not seen it you have to at least watch the the trailer because it's hilarious especially if you haven't seen samuel l jackson in a comedy role like it's just perfect and it came out in 1993 and it's just i i really want to see it i'm trying to think of samuel l jackson comedy roles you've seen the spirit right no well you don't you don't know how good of a joke that was 
Uh, okay, so let's get into our reactions. Um, so I don't know about you, but this is my first time seeing this movie, like ever. I have seen this movie before because I had a job that used to require that I reenact certain films from this era. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. Lethal Weapon was one of them that came up. Yeah. So I, I have seen it before, but it had been some time. Yeah, I didn't realize how many references that people have made to this movie until i actually saw it and it's i i had so much fun watching this movie like watching mel gibson just lose it uh is such a joy to watch in an acting sense him losing it in real life is not as entertaining um here in 1987 when everything uh, was great yeah perfect what was going wrong in 1987 (laughs) Uh, you're right. His performance is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And, uh, and I would have to say like the real breakout star of this movie is the saxophone because any time mm-hmm. I heard that sax come in, I was just like, oh man, this is just, this is a character all in itself. Exactly. It's just like the Partridge family house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this movie, it was I mean, well, especially at the point in time when they said the movie title in the movie. When he said, oh, man, we might as well register you as, turn the camera, a lethal weapon. Oh, wait a minute. That's the name of this movie. <laughs> uh, because of Cinema Sins, I cannot imagine any other response other than, roll credits like that's just <laughs> that's my response anytime they say the title in the movie i want to see them justify it for the sequels like by the fourth movie they're on the golf course and like oh, are we gonna register you as a lethal weapon for <laughs> uh they're like at a deli it's like oh we gotta register you as a lethal weapon too oh okay that's me that's, that's me, me. <laughs> got to the deli early <laughs> uh what were some of your favorite moments gary Busey. oh my gosh right um you really see like why amazon picked him to be the spokesperson of amazon <laughs> fire i'm so, gary like, Busey. <laughs> you should get i amazon approve fire. this message yes. <laughs> but i really like the dynamic between the two of them this was the first time i've watched the movie since moving to la yeah. Um, so I recognize different spots. In fact, um, Riggs's motorhome is within walking distance of my apartment. No way. But it was pretty cool to, to be like, hey, that's the beach that I live on. Huh. Uh, yeah. Oh, man, that's interesting. Because there's a very specific thing about that beach to where you can tell where it is. And so hmm. I was like, oh, hey, if I was just here in 1987... I could meet Mel Gibson and tell him his future (laughs) and say, knock it off, Mel. Stay here. Stay as long as you can. (laughs) You got to cherish it. What's that from? I don't know, but your kids will love it. (laughs) I kick over an ant and I walk away. (laughs) Yeah, Danny Glover, the, um, the thing that drew him to the role is just like him kind of playing like a family man character. Um, and it's it is really cool to see him kind of like play 
this uh, very family-involved cop um, who had, like, a, it seemed like he had a really great balance between both of his um, home, his personal and work life. And, uh, and just, like, that pairing of the two, I don't know, it's just, like, he played that family dynamic very real. Like, I really felt like that mm-hmm. was his family. And I thought that was really fun to see. Because you yeah. typically with movies, you'll have... Or at least modern day movies, I'd say. You have these these characters who are like motivated by their family, but like you you might just see them once at like ever. Like like, oh yeah, I have a family back at home and then like you never see the family again. Like I like that he kept on going back home to his family and bringing uh Riggs into his family and like the family was someone who you kinda got to know and got to get a sense of their family unit and that was motivated by his character and it just felt like you got a fuller spectrum of the character yeah i think it's really well written too because when the daughter is brought in and held for ransom and is captive uh it forces him to skew that relationship between work and life um but all of that is built on the foundation that you talked about. Yeah. And I think my other favorite part about this movie is how <laughs> it, so it got to like when they were in the desert. Yeah. Um, I, I was just so impressed with like the action and just like how I was just, I was just so willing to buy in to all of the misfires, <laughs> all of the, <laughs> their clone or their stormtrooper esque shooting, like he's just like, running and they're just shooting around him and he just stops and like, all right, we need him alive to make sure that he doesn't know anything and then we need to kill him. I was like, sure, I'll accept it. I'll take it. I'm along for the ride. Like, why do you need him alive to make sure he doesn't know anything? If he's dead, he doesn't know anything. Yeah. Whether it's about you or about plants or about <laughs> how time works. Yeah. Nothing. Those yeah. are the big things I ponder: plants and time. <laughs> Those are the things. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was interesting to see um, just how, because one of the things that you also don't see a ton of in uh, modern day action movies is just the actors doing a lot of their own stunts, like seeing Mel Gibson run <laughs> down the streets of L.A. was. It's like it's like when you see Tom Cruise in any of the Mission Possible movies, and he's just like mm-hmm. booking it, and it's just like this guy is like he he's gonna hurt somebody. He's running Maybe fast himself. Like I just I just love the intensity in which like he like some of these actors are doing their own stunts because um, there's a really cool video uh, somewhere on the internet, and I'm trying to remember who said it, but it's just like um, how the problem with action movies. Um, and one of the things that they talk about is just like sometimes when you when you don't see an actor do a lot of their own stunts and just like cuts to like someone else who might be a stunt double is that you don't necessarily feel the tension as much. But when you like see their faces and you see them like in the middle, like doing their own stunts or even some of their own um, fighting, like you feel that tension. It just adds another layer to the experience. And I was just like, I, I now live in the future uh, of when this movie was. And I'm just like, oh man, is Mel Gibson going to make it? Like, is he going to, like, I know that there are like three other lethal weapons, but like, does he, like, I was just like concerned for him. <laughs> Maybe those are all prequels. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I just thought that was super interesting. And just that, that whole final scene, that whole final <laughs> fight scene with in the uh with the water uh just running it <laughs> Mel Gibson fighting Gary Busey. It was such a a bizarre it felt out of place, but then I as I was doing some of the research, they were like really fighting for that scene to just be like a very large build up. Um and it was just it was just so and it was longer. Like they cut that down. That's the cut down version. I don't believe that. <laughs> that is the cut down version. It's longer. But I thought I just thought that was so interesting where they were just like, Listen, let these guys just fight it out. It'll be fine. He needs to get some aggression out. He's been trying to kill us. It'll be fine. Everybody make a circle. <laughs> Orderly fashion. Yeah. I think that would have been the perfect time to reveal the saxophone player. <laughs> he just steps out the back of the car, handcuffed. Just... <laughs> so when you when I watch like mysteries or like cop movies, I, I try to like figure out like I try to solve the crime like with them. Um, and I was very confused because I just saw this woman throw herself over a building. And I was like, mm. all right, open, shut case, you guys. Like, no, there's something more to it. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'd be a bad cop because I saw, I saw this. I saw the the scene that you guys are still trying to figure out. And, and I would have called it a day. Uh, I did not see the full scope of everything just because I don't think there are natural conclusions up front. Mm-hmm. To get to where you need to go, be like, you know what? I bet this is tied to the military. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't think all the clues were there. Um, it was interesting to see how they spilled out, though, and I enjoyed each twist as they presented it, like the tattoos. Mm-hmm. I think if we had seen the tattoos a little more in passing, then right. it would be like, okay, that's something I can figure out, but uh, that wasn't the case here so um there wasn't actually an alternate opening and ending uh an alternate opening and ending was filmed and originally was released on the lethal weapon 4 dvd um but the alternate ending is riggs and murtaugh saying goodbye to one another and murtaugh tells riggs that he's thinking about retiring but riggs tells him not to so that's how Mm. the movie would have ended that's interesting it reminded me a lot of planes trains and automobiles uh, I know what you're thinking. You got Whoa. that from that? Uh, <laughs> no, but just like how, you know, you have these two very extreme personalities that really help balance each other. Because, like, if left to their own devices, you know, I don't think that Murtaugh would have taken the risk to actually go out and explore this deeper um, had he not been a little influenced by uh, Riggs's just extreme extreme personality it's just like that whole um jumping scene which is like what you want to jump he handcuffed him it's like let's jump and then he just jumped off and landed on the thing i'm like this is a madman like i had like if i if if riggs was my partner i would have had the exact same reaction it's just like get over here what is wrong with you like it was just Oh man, like but I I think that he pushed him out to that extreme and then he also grounded Riggs a little bit more just to show him that he doesn't have to um be alone in this and his 
recklessness can be focused in for good mm. more often. And, the, and that he ultimately gained a friend. I thought that was really cool. That was cool. Friendship. Greatest weapon of all. Because you're a lethal weapon. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to go into our segment called Head Cannon. Head Cannon. Man, we might as well register you as a head cannon. <laughs> I'm looking into all the cameras. <laughs> head cannon is the part of the show where we share our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the movie. All right, so hear me out. I'm listening. All right, so this movie, mm-hmm. I want to say, is directly tied to or the big idea is just that lethal weapon kind of created this universe where these very extreme crimes happen especially involving these high profile people so that lethal weapon similar to how uh tarantino's universe um has like all these very extremely violent things because of like how their like history happens right um, so I want to say that Lethal Weapon and all the other like very like Rush Hour, uh, Bad Boys and Tango and Cash kind of exist in the same universe. Huh. Interesting. I'm going to yes and that concept and tie it together with Richard Donner by saying Lethal Weapon and the Superman movies exist in the same universe because Superman is the superhero that is the catalyst for these crimes. Um, much like Batman's presence brings out the crazy in Gotham and lethal weapon is the agents of shield version of, uh, (laughs) of that universe. That's awesome. I really like that. Well done. Also Riggs and Murtaugh are the same person. (laughs) 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 Well, you could do it either way. You can do that. Um, Riggs is real. And he imagines Murtoch, or Murtoch's real and imagines Riggs. So let's play it out both ways. If Riggs is real, then he imagines Murtoch because this is the ideal, the family that he'll never have. Um, and it's his way of experiencing that form of happiness. Murtoch exists as um, self-preservation, basically. is the mm-hmm. one last bit of reserve that exists within Riggs's mind that keeps him from pulling the trigger. Um, but yeah, if Murtaugh is real, then it's him facing his own mortality about growing old. And as long as he still has this youthful energy in him and still has that fight, then he's still relevant, which is a common right. theme that you see in aging characters. They want to stay relevant. Yeah. It's almost like his midlife crisis. Exactly. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's good. And then Joe Pesci shows up later in the franchise, and I don't know what to do with that. I think another piece of headcanon I have is that um, just kind of tying this movie to uh, Die Hard is that um, this is a world in which Christmas is the it's kind of like in doctor who Mm -hmm. how like everyone's like afraid of christmas because like something happens like something big happens on christmas that's the same thing for um these kind of action movies it's just that like christmas is the day where people are just known to like batten down the hatches just like oh we don't know what's gonna happen but something always goes down on christmas so it's like lethal weapon die hard nightmare before christmas you like said doctor (laughs) who 
uh, Krampus, Harry Potter, mm, the Grinch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay, this is super out there headcanon, but hear me out. <sighs> it ties directly into this. It's dumb, but I want to say it. <laughs> Santa is a retired cop. Go on. So it's the so it kind of ties into like why all these crimes happen on Christmas. Well, at one point in time, Santa was on patrol. Like that's why he he like he flies around the world because like the most crime happened on Christmas. So he would just like be on patrol and he would actually prevent all these breaking and enterings. And then people it. were just like, "Oh no, Santa leaves gifts." Instead, he just like preserves them. Um, and then. He gets too old, uh, and so he retires and then just does start to bring in gifts, and then, uh, that, but that's that's why all these big crimes happen on Christmas is because, uh, because Santa was like the protector, almost in the sense of like Batman. Do you have a name for this concept? Oh man, this is my time. <laughs> This is it. This is, this is what's going to separate. One chance. I can't throw away my shot. The Santa Claus. Okay, you got the Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm thinking Snow Patrol. Oh, it was right there. Runner up is Probable Claus. Oh my gosh, those are so much better. I love it. Rain it in. Oh, you did. oh man. I should only write for holiday-related <laughs> films. Oh, yeah, like the person who like names all the Air Bud movies. Oh, man, what a dream job. What a cush job that is. <laughs> be like, mm, see this? <laughs> see this Lamborghini that I got here? That's because uh, yeah, I named an Air Bud. That's from Air Buddies yeah, Air, um, and it. all the subsequent Air Buddies <laughs> sequels. I named the greatest hit. Uh, DVD called Best Buds. Um, that, was, <laughs> that was really my my window. My magnum opus. Yeah. That's fantastic. So now we're going to go to the second of the show called Recast and Remake, um, where we talk about who we would recast if this were to be remade, which it already is being done. But also, it's going to be unique because this movie has already been, uh, had several sequels. Uh, and has already, in theory, been remade in different various forms. But we're going to try our best. I've already kind of uh, said it, but I would love it if they aged them down a little bit. And had it almost like um, the new Star Trek movies, but it's them meeting younger. So, like, young Murtaugh would be played by Donald Glover. Interesting. And then... Um, Young Mel Gibson would be played um, by Joseph Gordon-Lovett. I was thinking Joseph Gordon-Lovett as well. And so, like, it's it's kind of like the meeting, like, it's the premise is the same, but they just meet when they are, like, younger cops. Like, they're in their 30s, and then ultimately they meet back up. Or, if they were to do it, as the series that they're currently doing or like in the form of a series. I would love it if we just follow them and they never meet each other, but we just follow like these two parallel cops who are like solving 
different cases, but they're in the same department, but they never work together until the season finale or something like that. That's good. I like that. Yeah. yeah I think that'd be pretty dynamic. Yeah. And then those kids who see the crime are played by season one Luke from Modern Family. <sighs> Just all the kids. But it would be like an 80s piece. You could do like season one Luke from Modern Family, season two Luke from Modern Family, and season three Luke from Modern Family are all the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I like, and like season three Luke is watching after season one and two Luke. <laughs> Which you got, Grayson. Um, I would like to see for Murtaugh, I say mm-hmm. we go older. Let's get Sidney Portier. <laughs> really put together. Does things by the book. He really is too old for this. Like, he should not be doing this anymore. Why is he still doing this? Oh, my God. Did he not say? Does he have no savings? Sell the boat. Like, that. those kinds of questions. You get 89-year-old Sidney Poitier. Yes. (laughs) That way you really believe it. Yeah. Uh, And then to play opposite him... um, since, you know, I, I don't think we're going to be able to get season one Luke from Modern Family. Um, he's just booked solid. I would really yeah. like to see, to play the crazy element of it, because this guy plays crazy super well, Paul Dano. Ooh. From Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Prisoners. Yes. Yeah, he, uh, he was also in There Will Be Blood. I love Paul Dano. Love me some Paul Dano. But to see Paul Dano be- go crazy... While Sidney Poitier is being old, that's all I want. Yeah, here's what I would love. I would love to see Bill Hader and uh, Tim Meadows just play opposite of each other because I would that would just be fun. Like just continual pairings. I would love them, especially for uh, Bill Hader to play like a super or like a more serious role, would be fun. Not only that, but I would love to see. Um, just a series of Emilio Estevez and Samuel L. Jackson, but but as the Lethal Weapon characters, like I want to see that more. They like like just not par- not playing it um in the parody world, but like I just would love that pairing of those two <laughs> together. I feel like it would just be great. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, so now we're gonna play another game that we sometimes like to play here on this show called second take title oh no where we <laughs> not prepared for where this we, <laughs> where we discuss alternate titles for the movie now this movie was called lethal weapon um large in part because and i kid you not like this is on the movie poster and it just brought so much joy to my heart two cops glover carries a weapon Gibson is one. He's the only LA cop registered as Lethal Weapon. Now, doesn't that make it sound like Danny Glover is carrying Mel Gibson around? <laughs> Got my weapon right here. Kabam! <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, and so I think the movie's good. I think Lethal Weapon is just the perfect title for it. It's kind of like uh, like what we did with Rush Hour. It's just like, it sounds like a great movie series, but like, what else could it have been? My second take title would, of course, be Too Old, Too Furious. <laughs> You're welcome, 
Yo, but with the numerical twos and people are like, oh, absolutely. I missed the first one. I, I shouldn't go see this one, right? <laughs> and then the second one is Too Old, Too Furious 2. <laughs> <laughs> Colon, Too Many Twos. <laughs> and the third one would be Too Old, Too Furious as well. Uh, <laughs> In addition to the other stuff as well. Furthermore. What about you, Grayson? What else would you call this movie? Give me a second. It's not like this is an Airbud film. <laughs> uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking something along the line. I'm trying to find the middle of that Venn diagram. <laughs> you know, so you have police, but then you also have psychological issues. Mm-hmm. There's something in the middle there. Maybe it's blue, uh, like the blues, feeling the blues. Blues Brothers. There you go. Blues Brothers. Did it. <laughs> Ooh, or. Off the cuff, because of handcuffs? Oh, because of handcuffs. I was thinking because of those fancy pins that they wear at special (laughs) occasions. No, it's just like, because he's out of his mind, just like, oh, he's he's off the rails. No, he's off the cuffs. So it's just like... Off the cuff. A totally improvised police comedy. (laughs) Oh, he pulled a gun. (laughs) Yes, and don't shoot me. Movie's over. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that would be a fun Christopher Guest film for him to tackle, like a police comedy. Yeah. Call it Off the Cuff. Off the Cuff. Off the Cuff. Uh, I think there's something there where, like, beat. Like, because uh, the. They, what do they call them? They call them Flatfoots, like, or like the beat cops. So they have so mm-hmm. many names. Um, stir crazy. That's not. That's nothing. That'd be like if they were bartenders and one of them was crazy. <laughs> like Lethal Weapon meets Cocktail. Oh, I'm in. I'm in 100. We do cocktails just so we can do second take titles, and I say stir crazy. Uh, um, yeah, no, I like Off the Cuff. That's fun. Yeah, I don't think they would have the made cuff. four movies called Off the Cuff. <laughs> nope. Um, Off the Cuff again. Uh, <laughs> off the cuffs, off the cuffs, and then the last one would be called uh, Two Cuffs, Two Furious." <laughs> Colon, too many cuffs. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Sorry, I have another recast remake. Brian Cranston and then um, Idris Elba. I would love to see them like playing a buddy cop type scenario. Well, have you ever watched Luther? I have not. It's excellent. That's what I would imagine. He would play it as, but with an American accent. What if that was the thing? Like, oh, he got this crazy English corp who, who just who who plays by all the rules because you know he he's English. God save the queen. But then you have this crazy American coming in. Just oh, I see. Doing. I'm so sorry for all of our English listeners. I'm sorry. Oh. We have. We are just ruining all of our international appeal. But I like the idea. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, what is what our is international it? Do we have numbers on that? I don't think so. Oh. Um, I would be interested in seeing a lethal weapon that takes place in England and uh, the the crazy Riggs character. It's not just that he's crazy. It's that he's also American and, like, quick to pull his gun and things like that. Yeah. Um, 
That would be great. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. I like the idea of Brian Cranston being involved, just being super intense. Do you know what it's (laughs) like to lose a family? You want to jump, let's jump. That's billion with a B. (laughs) Uh, Now we're going to wrap up the podcast with our final segment, which is giving our reasons to recommend. Grayson, why would you recommend the movie Lethal Weapon 1? Lethal Weapon 1, The Reckoning. Um, (laughs) It really inspired a lot of other buddy cops. Um, Not the cops themselves. (laughs) The movies. uh, Yeah, cops weren't really friends before this movie. They said, hey, I want to be like those guys. And How come you don't invite me over for dinner more often and hang out on your boat that's in your driveway? Uh, I want to go on a driveway boat. Uh, I think it, it inspired a lot of other buddy cop films. Um, and the dynamic between the two is a lot of fun. Uh, it's pretty classic and you can see why that franchise continued to grow. Uh, and the seeds were planted here. Plus Mel Gibson, super intense. Danny Glover plays that nice, uh, you know, collected, still able to be humorous, but involved in the action role. So it's, uh, it moves pretty quickly. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, like, 1987 Mel Gibson is just a treat. It's just a joy to see him act this role in this way. Like, dude... So, another fun fact that I forgot to mention earlier is that, like, the scene where Riggs is contemplating suicide, there is an actual bullet in the chamber, which Mel Gibson was pointing at his head, thinking that it would allow for a greater sense of portraying the scene realistically and dramatically. And stupidly. Um, oh, so there were signs ahead of time. Signs? Oh, no. That, that was signs. Yeah. And then there were signs. Yeah. Okay. Because there were signs. Got it. About signs. What were we doing? Talking about the... <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> reason recommended. Um, yeah, like, seriously, this movie... Um, it's It's... It's fun to see those movies that kind of jump-started the whole genre because you start to see things that kind of nowadays become cliched or tropes that kind of, like, got started here. And it's cool to see what influenced all these other movies and how, um, you know, the this movie was kind of playing homage to, like, old westerns. And now you have buddy cop movies that play homage to Lethal Weapon. And it's it's just... It's fun to see these kinds of dynamics and how the origins begin. And also it's just a great Christmas movie to watch just around the holiday season. So after you get done watching Die Hard, you can watch Lethal Weapon. It's uh, fun for the whole family. If, if you're fine with violence, nudity and being too old for things. Yes. Language, drug use, it's quite a rap sheet. But seriously, I would recommend this movie. It's it's fun, uh, especially if you like uh, crime dramas, because the other uh, Lethal Weapon movies, from my understanding, have more comedy involved with it. But, like, this one is, like, an action thriller, like, drama. Like, they have, like, some funny moments, but it's by no means, like, a comedy. But the later ones kind of have more humor to it. But, yeah, if, if you like uh, cop movies and, like, cop dramas and you kind of want to see one of one of the first of its kind... Uh, highly recommend Lethal Weapon. And also, like, Danny Glover. Like, that guy's great. Don't get enough of him. 
Yeah. I mean, he was great in Saw. That's right. He was in Saw. I saw him in Saw. You, you saw, saw? saw I I've seen I see Saw. Saw. I've yeah. also seen Signs. <laughs> I saw the sign. All right. We need to end this podcast. <laughs> and that is our review of Lethal Weapon. Let us know what you think of Lethal Weapon on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks. And let us know what you thought of this review on iTunes. Leave us a review telling us um, what you're too old for. Just never get too old for this podcast, please. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, actually, if you could just leave a review just saying that you're too old for this flick, uh, that would be great. <laughs> I'm too old for this flick. Five stars. <laughs> 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 Such a confusing... It'll be our inside joke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the internet will and- go crazy. <laughs> Uh, and be sure to follow us on Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks, where we will be telling you guys what movie we will be reviewing next right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until next time, remember to be kind and rewind.